Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Sultan, Tony Dosen. Welcome to Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and also on the web on a Tuesday night at triplehfm.com.au and then afterwards at podcasts.com and wherever else you pick up your podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes and all the bad places you pick up your podcasts as well. Time to go to the final episode of our coronavirus series of special Splinters episodes drawn from interviews on the bench with many and varied representatives of local clubs and codes from outside the main sporting spectrum and particularly from the Hornsby and Kiringai Northern Corridor. It was fitting that we finished where we started, with the Asquith Magpies, with Rugby League in the Northern Corridor. It's where we started with Pat Wisner in the first of our episodes on this uh, special coronavirus series. So it's fitting we go back to him a few months down the track after all hell broke loose, it appeared in early March, to see how Asquith are faring and how they're handling the moving feast, which is the coronavirus emergency, as the months go by. Good evening to you in isolation. Yeah, good day, Tony. How are you, mate? I am well. Uh, how are you faring in isolation over these last four to six weeks? Oh, yeah, it's been strange, doesn't it, I think, for everybody. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. You just got to press on and try and turn into a positive. It's been, been good spending more time with the family and um, seeing my kids a little bit more with no football. But, yeah, it's definitely been different and... Um, I'm looking forward to getting back into some football, hopefully in a couple of months. Is uh, that all, uh, a way to get out of the household chores from Mrs. Wisner? Oh, I don't think anybody, anything can stop that. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it might assist a little bit, yeah. It might get me out of fun, hopefully. <laughs> the more difficult ones, like the hammer and nail ones and the painting ones, rather than the changing of the light globe ones. What? Yeah, I'm not real handy on the tools, so anything oh. I can get out of, I'll, I'll, I'll try to. Oh, sure. you're, not, you're not Robinson Crusoe there. Now, uh, take us through what's been going on during these last few weeks. Have you been keeping in some sort of touch with the playing group, with your coaching staff? They've been... You know, not so much layoffs, but certainly pauses in uh, activity. How have you gone about running things on the whole button? Yeah, look, it hasn't been easy, that's for sure. I think probably like most teams, um, relied heavily on social media to sort of stay in touch with all the boys and through our phones and, and chats we've got going. Um, you know, we've put in as many things as we can to sort of keep the guys interested without sort of overburdening and with too much stuff. Um, it is Obviously, they do need a little bit of time away and people have got different stuff going on with their work or financial um, sort of problems and family stuff that they've got to do, homeschooling and all sorts of stuff. So it's been everybody sort of in a different place. But, yeah, we've done a little bit of stuff through chat, you know, set some challenges and having guys doing themselves juggling and just some, you know, a bit of light-hearted fun as well as some, some training programs with the more serious stuff and weigh-ins and stuff like that. But other than that, there's not a whole lot we can do other than um, try and stay positive, and at least now we do have a date, so that's given us a little bit of a boost, probably at the right time as well. Uh, that July 18th date and the July 1st start of training, it's all v still very problematical about this curve continuing to be flattened and the numbers of new coronavirus cases maintaining the uh, slow and downward trend of the last three or four weeks. Uh, what sort of precautions have the playing group you've been taking about remaining aware of staying safe? Oh, look, we, you know, we're doing the same as the, the general public, really. We're trying to, trying to stay indoors and just trying to um, isolate as much as you can. Obviously, within reason, there's still things that you need to do to survive. But, um, yeah, look, it's, it's been positive. At least at, least at the moment, um, we do have a date in mind. I think the uncertainty of not knowing whether we're even going to play or not, um, we're sort of starting to wear a few guys down. And I, I don't think... A whole lot of um, sort of faith in, in us getting back on the field until the announcement, which has at least given us a target now. And obviously, June one is going to be the big the big one. If hopefully um, on June one it can all be confirmed. But prior to that, obviously there's some NRL training that's about to take place. And if there's no um, sort of you know uh, further cases or any trouble with the NRL teams going back to training, well, I think that'll be a big indication that we're going to be okay to play as well. But yeah, there's still a few hoops to jump through, but. Um, it is good to get a date and, you know, and we can sort of all point towards that direction now and I guess the countdown begins. 
You were mentioning when we uh, first spoke when this broke out and the suspension and the uh, pause of the competitions was first uh, put in that a lot of guys were copying it from the other end. They had lost jobs or were stood down from work in various uh, fields of endeavour. I mean, you mentioned airport baggage handlers. You've got three or four players who were airport baggage handlers who copped it from both ends. It's... You mentioned everyone's been in a different space. How hard has it been for some? Has it been harder for some than others, for instance? Yeah, of course it has. I mean, I think it's like that everywhere, isn't it? In every industry, there's sort of been ups and downs. Um, you know, a lot of our guys sort of weren't weren't sure how it was going to go. I think the government stimulus packages and stuff like that has definitely helped and helped some guys. I know a lot of the guys, that, uh, a lot of the Magpies Vitara stuff as well have been sort of helped out by that sort of stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's, it was really uncertain when it first got announced. It was a huge shock and um, nobody knew sort of how long it was going to go. And I guess we still don't in many ways, but it's a little bit clearer now over time that um, you know we're starting to get a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, and even the people who have gone a little bit tougher are starting to become a little bit more positive, knowing that um, you know we're sort of heading in the right track, and it definitely hasn't, I guess, um, evolved as bad as what everybody thought it might have at one point. Now it appears, well, not it doesn't appear. It's it's a definite that. The Fiji Silk Tails won't come back. They may well, they were pretty quick to get on the front foot and announce that they won't be back this year. That was probably inevitable given the problems with international travel and given the problems with even interstate travel that uh, the NRL are encountering to try and get their competition restarted. Uh, restarted that uh, it was going to be a ten-team competition when uh, when we eventually got back on the field. Yeah, I've heard that as well. I've heard that obviously with the travel restrictions, Fiji won't be back in. Um, that's just obviously really disappointing. Um, you know, they had a good win first up and generated a little bit of publicity for the comps, and it was always going to be exciting um, seeing them come to Australia as well, seeing how they played, and obviously uh, us having to deal with the trip over there. It was something to look forward to, and definitely one of the first games um, on the draw that you look for when you when you're going to play Fiji. So that's really disappointing, but you know, it does leave some question marks around the draw now. Um, whether there'll be a redraw, nobody's really sure. I guess if there's no buy, um, you know, how do you press ahead when one team's already been given two points for a buy that, that nobody else will get, two free points? And obviously wins are on the other hand or on the other end. They've been given a bit of a flogging by a team that, that nobody else is going to have to face. So there's a lot of uncertainty around what will happen. Um, you know, to my knowledge, if things get approved on June 1, um, clubs will be given 14 days to express their interest in returning to the comp or joining the comp. Um, and then by the 14th, um, we'll know how many teams are in, and I guess they'll make a decision on their draw and how many games we'll play from, from that, I suppose. But, yeah, it's a shame for Jerry. Right? That would have been great, but hopefully we see him in 2021. Indeed. Um, I would expect that uh, the other nine sides alongside yourself, I mean, I know that uh, when the question is asked on June 1, Asquith will definitely put their hand up and, and return. Um, the July 18 date is an interesting one where it only leaves... If you wanted to have the finals in September, as per normal, in inverted commas, only seven weeks of play. Now, if everyone was to play everybody else once in a 10-team competition, it still might work out that you play the grand finals either early or in mid-October. And that would get around the possibility of grounds because that's going to be the other factor, isn't it? Uh, The availability of grounds going forward because you can't police social distancing, presuming that we're still going to be under social distancing at council open grounds with no gates like Story Park. Yeah, it's definitely an issue and um, so is cricket. I mean, when does the cricket season start? Nobody's sure if that's going to get put back. Obviously, we share the ground with cricket and there's preparations they've got to do on the wicket area as well, which means we can't sort of train and play um, in September a lot of the time and during the semis, we're often looking for a few, another field to, to train at um, to prepare properly. So there's a lot of question marks around that. I guess when we finally um, get a draw out, we'll be able to tell. I did note that the NRL um, grand final date, uh, if they start on May 20, it looks like it's still going to be on the same weekend. So you'd have to think that our grand final would finish a week earlier as they do in other years. I can't see us going longer than the NRL. So, yeah, you're right. That would only leave around seven weeks of footy. And obviously, so, oh, checking out the draw, if they continued on from... The draw that was um, was going to happen, and we started at round 17 or whatever was scheduled for July week. We would play a couple of games, and then Fiji, and then a bye. So we might have a couple of weeks off. Uh, I really don't know. There's, there's so much uncertainty around. Hopefully, we can just get as many games in as we can, and try and get close to a fair comp where you play everybody at least once, and um, you know, see what happens after that. But I, I don't think it's going to be ideal, no matter what happens. Nobody's going to be happy 
um, you know, it's not going to be perfectly fair, but at the end of the day, if we get back on the field, we've just got to be happy with that, I think. Absolutely. Now, if it is a short sprint of a season, seven weeks or eight weeks, um, how do you prepare the players for such a, a short season? You might get some players back from injury, um, some others you may lose. It's it's a new dynamic, isn't it? It really is, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. There's been a lot of discussions um, you know, with myself and JT at North about how we might work it and what we would do with the possibility of players dropping back. But, um, you know, we're sort of being given the indication that the competition will still be run under the TPIS 100-point system, which will mean that a lot of teams can't, I guess, stack their teams um, with New South Wales Cup players, you know, as many as that they have available. Um, but, you know, how do you balance that over trying to re-sign guys for the year after? Um, you know, obviously, if you stack your team full of New South Wales Cup players, you're only on lucky Cup players, unlikely to return the year after. Um, and the last thing we want to do is... is destroy something that we've been building. So it's going to be a real balancing act and there's so many dynamics and uh, different things to consider when we when we get to that point. It's not going to be easy management, guys. Um, but on the football field, we're just going to keep the ground running. It's, it's really important to the guys that they try and do their own fitness. Um, if anybody comes back unfit, they're just not going to have time to get fit and, and we're not going to be able to pick them. That's just the way it's got to be, unfortunately. Um, so there's a little bit of onus on the, the guys to do it themselves and uh, I'm confident with two weeks training we'll be able to to get on the field and be really competitive. But, um, yeah, individually, it's really the under the guys to try and stay on top of things. You mentioned you've already spoken to Jason Taylor, the North's coach. We know that there is going to be no Canterbury Cup. Uh, that was reaffirmed in the announcement by the league uh, during the week. And you mentioned the conundrum that a lot of clubs that send players up the line to Canterbury Cup sides face. Um, and the temptation is there to do the... Do the pancake stack, as I call it, with the extra maple syrup and just have, uh, you know, nearly an entire Canterbury Cup strength squad. But there are going to be some players uh, that Jason Taylor will want to have game time under the belt in case they get called up to the NRL training squad, won't they? Yeah, definitely. Look, you know, it's really funny and uh, a lot of clubs are in different situations. You know, you've got clubs like Blacktown and Mounties who have... Canterbury Cup teams and, and there's the same club below with the Ron Matthew team so I'm sure it'd be really easy for, for those teams to sort of stack their teams their Ron Matthew Cup teams full of the, the best players in their clubs but then you obviously get different teams like us who are, who are linked with Norse who are a different club who are on top of that linked with the Roosters who are also a different club so whether um, you know that those clubs are going to want their players crossing over into different environments and um, again as you say there's a point thing to make it really difficult to try and stack your teams anyway and try and balance that off it's not going to be easy, but um, you know, I have no doubt most of the teams are going to end up stronger um, player-wise because of this. You're going to have everybody back from injury, and um, you know, you're going to have New South Wales Cup players. I'm sure every club's going to get a few that are going to be looking for a game, and um, it'll be really interesting to see things unfold out for a few teams. I think they're going to be some really strong teams, and anybody who's missed footy uh, is going to enjoy some really good games on the weekends if they, if they come to their matches. Well, that's if they're allowed to come. I understand that. There'll still be the social distancing requirements, at least for the first few weeks, which would mean that grounds would or games would have to be held at grounds with gates so that it would be uh, police, that is, players, officials and working media only would be the only the only ones allowed, at least for the for the first couple of weeks, which means that a ground like Story Park might not be used. And yet but that leaves the, the door open to somewhere like North Sydney Oval to play your home games. So what you lose on the merry-go-round, you pick up on the giddy-go, don't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that'd be great playing at North Sydney Oval a couple of games. I don't know, um, you know if that's a possibility or not. I guess we'll see when the draw comes out. I've also heard rumours that there might be uh, all games on that one ground. Um, we clean those brought in to sort of um, look after the, the hygiene side of things um, after each match before the, the new teams come in. A bit more of a gap between matches and um, yeah, I've heard all sorts of things. It's really difficult to know what's true and what's people just popping up ideas and, and what New South Wales Rugby League are thinking. Um, I do know that they've, they've said they've got four or five different draws in mind, depending on how many teams come in and um, you know when we start. Um, you know as to where those games are played, I'm sure they've got they've got their ideas about that as well. But I guess until June one, there's, there's probably not much point in them putting the information out. That it's all turned to shape really quickly, but it's, it's really good that the NRL's going to be back and. Hopefully they can go um, really smoothly with their return. I think if they do, we'll be fine as well. Well, that announcement that came through in the last half hour before we went to air, just after 5.30, 
uh, beautifully timed, of course, by the broadcasters for their primetime news bulletins, of course, uh, was uh, that everything seems to be hunky-doring and the brinkmanship is finished and it looks like that the broadcasters have, have fallen into line. What have you made of uh, some of the goings-on and, uh, you know, the, the posturing by some people uh, in, in broadcast land against the no-nonsense, hard-nosed, almost... Uh, uh, tough guy bastardry stance that people like Peter Volandis has had to take to push this thing through. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, watching it all unfold? I think sometimes you just got to sit back and maybe um, ask yourself what, what sort of agenda the person's got who's writing an article or, or um, you know, what sort of um, angle they're trying to take you know, in interviews. I think there's been a lot of people playing a little bit of a political game with, with stuff, but... Um, you know, rugby league's funny like that, isn't it? It's really easy for people to turn on each other, but uh, I think at the end of the day, if we get back on the field, most of it will be forgotten. And, um, you know, I know Foxtel and Channel 9, they're obviously negotiating, you know, with the NRL over how many games they show, but from our point of view, we just want to see footy back on the field, don't we? As fans, we don't care, you know, how, how many games it is. If they get back sooner, that's all we want, and we're just going to watch the footy and um, hopefully everything else sorts out and, you know... As a lot of people are saying, if we can try and turn what's happening into a positive and the game is better off going forward with some better administration, well, that's, that can only be good as well. But, you know, we all just want to see footy, don't we? We're sick of watching the reruns and, um, you know, we're sick of, sort of hearing about um, all the broadcasting rights and all that. It's, we just want to watch some games. Absolutely. Now, you would expect, we know that Fiji is out, you would probably expect that all of the other sides will come back? All the yeah, other nine, all, all the other ten will come back to form a, a ten-team competition? Yeah, look, you'd think so. I mean, I don't know the financial sort of status of, of the other, a lot of the other clubs. I know with Asquith, obviously, we rely on the, the support of the Matai's Waitara Club. Um, so whether they're going to be open in time for us to get on the field is obviously a bit of a sticking point. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know whether other clubs are in the same or where their finances come from or, as I think we said last time we spoke, whether they rely on sponsorship and who knows how the businesses um, who sponsor football, who knows how they're going, do they have the money available now to sponsor a team? Uh, I guess everybody's in a different situation, but I certainly haven't heard of anybody else who's likely to pull out or anything um, through there. I think most clubs are uh, keen to get back on the field as soon as we can, and even if it means playing in maybe a slightly unfair or, or uneven competition as far as who you play, um, you know, getting back on the field and, and seeing the boys play footy and, um, and some match payments for them and for their family is pretty important, uh, regardless of who you're playing. You uh, mentioned the possible question mark of Magpies Waitara getting, uh, giving you the support that you need to get back on the field. What's the latest in your conversations with people like Peter O'Brien and Brian Fulmer there? And uh, um, They are still 1,000% supportive of you getting back on the field. At the end of the day, Magpies Waitara in their constitution clearly states that they are there for the fostering of rugby league, are they not? Oh, they've been outstanding with you know, their support for the football. You know, in the time I've been at the club, I can't speak highly enough of um, the board and, and also the support the club gives the football. So, uh, you know, I've no doubt they want they want us to get them back on the field. But, you know, equally they also need to see the doors open so they can start, um, you know, seeing people go through the doors and people can enjoy the Leagues Club again as well. I don't know if they've been given any indication around dates or anything like that. But, um, you know, I'll, you'd have to think Leagues Clubs and places like that would be pretty low down the list as far as being reopened just because of the um, demographics of people who go there and obviously social distancing is hard to do in, in clubs like that. So you'd have to think they were, might be a little bit later than football, but hopefully not too late. Um, you know, we're not the only club that, that gets supported by leagues clubs, you know, just about everyone in our comp does. So I, I guess that's a real sticking point and some sort of indication as to when they might open. Um, it's probably needed from every team, I'd say. What about the plans then? Now that you've got some rough dates to work with, uh, what's the plan to get towards assuming that it's difficult to assume of course that the green light is given on June 1 and we have the 14 day period of uh, feedback and then we have a draw that is supposedly out on June 22 for the July 18 start or restart um, what's the planning as far as keeping the players sharp mentally and physically until that first training session on the night of July 1, assuming that that's going to happen? Yeah, look, as I said before, there's not a great deal uh, we can do when we can't all get together and train other than give them programs and, um, I guess, monitor their weights and, and stuff like that. There's really not a lot you can do. There's a lot of trust involved that they're doing it. 
Um, but, you know, look, we'll be able to tell who's been training and who hasn't as soon as we get back. You know, we've got tests that we did through the pre-season, and it's very similar to when we do our testing before Christmas. When we come back after Christmas, we usually test the guys again and um, see if anybody's slipped up and anybody's put on weight. We, we know they probably enjoyed Christmas a little bit too much, and it'll be very similar this time when we get back. We'll have to do some testing and just see where we're at. Um, the difference this time, I guess, is that we're not going to have time to get the guys fit Whereas in the pre-season, if they came back unfit, we could usually adapt our training schedule a bit and maybe implement more conditioning. Um, we won't be able to do that. We won't have enough time. So if you're not fit, you're just not going to get picked. So hopefully that's motivation enough for the guys to, to stick at their training and do the right thing. But, um, you know, people are human. They don't always do what they're supposed to do. So we'll just have to wait and see. And I'm confident we're going to have 17 guys there who are, who are fit enough to play footy. But, um, you know, plenty of other teams as well, they're going to have some really strong teams out there now with, with more names off those cups. That's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, who goes in the field? And I think Sydney Shield's going to be in that team in comp too. You know, they're not going to be able to play everybody twice either, you would think. So the draw will probably be really, really key in that comp. A um, bit more of a difference between the top teams and the bottom teams in Sydney Shield. Um, in Ron Matthew, probably not quite as such a big gap. So that Sydney Shield draw will be interesting, that's for sure. Absolutely, because we presume that all 14 teams or a bulk of those 14 teams uh, will come back. And that leads me to one last thing. Um, if we only have a seven- or eight-week season and if we do continue to work towards a September 27 grand final, which is what is nominally what was the grand final date uh, before the coronavirus curtain came down on us all, uh, you look at the final series. Is it feasible to have an eight-team final series if only eight teams come back in the Massey or... 12 teams come back in the Shield. Do we have a reduced final series, which means we have a reduced number of weeks of finals? Who knows? Yeah, look, I, I think that's definitely something they should look at. Um, in my opinion, a, a shortened semi-final series, um, if that means everybody would get to play each other once prior to the semi, I think it's definitely something they need to look at. Um, you know, I think if you're going to play everybody once, well, you know, there's no reason to have a top eight either. I mean, if, you, if you've come eighth and played everybody once, it means you've probably only won one or two games. So you probably don't deserve to be in the finals anyway. Um, so, yeah, in my opinion, if, if they're going to shorten the competition um, where it's not going to be even, or maybe shortening the semis is better off, maybe a top four or something like that, or even short, even smaller than that. Um, if you play everybody once, you can, you, know, you can go off the ladder and go from there. I know in other sports, the Premier League and, and soccer and sports like that, they don't even have semi-finals. They just go on uh, the ladder at the end. So who knows what they'll come up with, but... I'd love to see it made as fair as possible as far as at least playing everybody once. Um, you know, I'd hate to see us having to play St Mary's again and, and missing out on playing somebody else and, and vice versa. And, and, and I'd hate to see teams getting buys and teams not. And um, I just hope they come up with the best draw possible. But it is a difficult task. I don't envy their position in having to sort all this out. It's not going to be an easy fix. But, um, yeah, hopefully they can think outside the box a bit and, and come up with something that everyone's pretty happy with. Would you be uh, happy to play midweek games to make up uh, the possible uh, the possibility or probability of having to play everyone else once? Well, I'd play every night, but I don't have to go into the field and then <laughs> back up for work the next day. I don't get sore anymore. It's one of the advantages of coaching. Um, but you know, you'd have to ask the players. I do think that playing one Wednesday night probably wouldn't be an issue. Uh, maybe another one if they're spaced out properly, just purely because. Each team's going to have so many more players at the moment with New South Wales Cup players possibly being available and that gives teams a chance to rotate their squads a bit more and um, get more guys a game and everybody plays once. Why not? You know, I'd be open to that. Um, I don't know whether that's something they're considering or not, but, yeah, why not? It's, it's not the worst idea. We used to do it, didn't we? Play, play mid-league games occasionally and catch-up games for wet weather. So, um, you know, nothing too serious happened to anybody. Um, why not? I think that'd be a much fairer way to do it. Well, it'll be interesting to see what comes out in the mix. Um, we cross our fingers that the numbers stay as they are and that the curve remains flattened and the new cases continue to fall over the next couple of months until we get to the point where a final decision has to be made in the month of June. But at least the announcement during the week shows that there is some uh, light at the end of the tunnel. There is one more thing. There is one more thing. What do you say to those that think... And there is a strong train of thought that this is all too hasty, this is all too quick, it sends the wrong message out to have people uh, in physical contact sport when 
social distancing is still uh, enforced in other parts of society. Is it something that the anti-sport lobby, of which there is a a significant proportion of the population out there, uh, what do you say to, to those people that think that it's too quick, too soon, and that we should all wait for 2021? Yeah, mate, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, and I guess everybody's got different information coming in. That was the, the hard part about this at the start, wasn't it? Everybody was getting information from different people and um, we're waiting for announcements and, and a lot of the announcements seem confusing. So I have no doubt there'll be people who disagree with, with contact sport being played and, and that's fine if that's the, what, what they feel. But, uh, you know, I'm confident our club and any other club I believe would never put up on the field unless it was safe to do so. Um, you know, if they say it, we're fine. Um, smarter people than me have said that, that, that it's fine, obviously, so I'm happy to run with that. Um, you know, I do think things will change, a lot of hygiene and um, cleaning and stuff that we probably took for granted before, um, you know, will, will change, and that's probably for the better eventually anyway. So uh, I think it'll be different, but I think, um, you know, I think getting back on the field is really important for mental health as much as it is for everybody else's health as well. That's the, uh, the underrated factor, isn't it? Mental health. All right. We'll leave it at that. We could talk on for a bit longer, but you've got things to do. You've got to go back into isolation, and uh, uh, and so have we eventually. Stay safe. Well, I'm sure we'll catch up again before July the 18th, maybe around the end of June, maybe in that training period at some stage in July when we hopefully, fingers crossed, get back on the field. Thank you so much, Pat Wisner, the Asquith Magpies coach, for your time tonight on the bench. No worries, Danny. Thanks for having me, mate. Hopefully next time... Um We've got to draw out and we can have a good chat about that. Yes, we all look forward to the day when we can talk about the draw and about things that are happening on the field uh, in all codes, but especially in rugby league. I think in their case, a lot will be hinging on how the National Rugby League resumes on May 28th, the mooted May 28th date, given that the New South Wales Rugby League will be meeting straight after that initial weekend on June 1 to make their next move. All right, the referee has blown half-time in this episode of Splinters. We'll take the break now and we'll come back on the other side to speak with Ed Ferguson to see how one of the largest association football junior leagues in all of Australia, the NSFA, the Northern Suburbs Football Association, and their flagship outfit, the Northern Tigers, have handled and are handling the coronavirus emergency as this special episode of Splinters continues. The action attraction of the North Shore Magpies Waitara starts the road to recovery with the reopening of the Lucky Magpie Asian restaurant for pick-up and takeaway. But be quick, the best Asian meals on the North Shore are only open from 3 till 8, Thursdays to Sundays for now, until more coronavirus restrictions are lifted. To order, call the club during the new takeaway hours on 94871066 or at the website www.magpieswaitara.com.au or even via menu log. So let the lucky magpie do your cooking tonight, thanks to Magpies Waitara. Information for members and guests, sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Thanks, Australia, for doing your bit to help stop the spread of coronavirus, for downloading the COVID Safe app, for keeping your distance and staying at home, for the sacrifices you've made, and for stepping up in these tough times. The changes aren't easy, but they are working. So keep going. And don't forget, if you haven't already, download the COVID Safe app today. Visit australia.gov.au to learn more. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. Yes, welcome back to Splinters. Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and also live web streaming on a Tuesday night at www.triplehfm.com.au and then afterwards at podcasts.com and wherever else you pick up your podcasts. Tune in, iTunes, Spotify and all the bad places as well. Like Mears Cast. Don't know why I keep going back to Mears Cast. Must be that bad. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get back to business, shall we? And we wrap up our first series of special coronavirus emergency episodes with a look at the world game in the Northern Corridor. The Northern Suburbs Football Association is the flagship junior league for the world game from the Harbour Bridge to the Hawkesbury. 
and their Northern Tigers flagship outfit play in the NPL 2, just below the top flight of State League football against some of the big traditional clubs of the NSL era. It is fitting that we finish our coronavirus series with a catch-up with Ed Ferguson. We spoke to him recently on the bench. He's the CEO of the NSFA and the Northern Tigers to see how the world game and the NSFA in particular have handled and are continuing to handle the coronavirus emergency. Thanks for having me on. Good evening. Indeed. All right, well, let's go back to the beginning. Take us through the timeline of how you found out and eventually uh, how you had to make the tough calls to postpone these competitions. It seems such a long time ago, but it was only seven weeks ago that this all happened on us. I know. It has all kind of morphed into uh, one big period of time, but I guess we... um we kind of heard about the coronavirus like, uh, ramping up back in uh, March and um, I actually had a meeting with my board and we discussed the likelihood of football being played and I guess what our moral obligation is uh, in the community and in our northern corridor um, about whether we should continue with football and I guess you've got to appreciate that when there's football training and football games on, you've got close to a 500 people at a venue. So therefore we really did have to look at, I guess, what's our part in this whole COVID-19 kind of crisis and how do we try and limit the spread of infection and, and try and plateau the curve as it was back in mid-March. Um, and, we, and we made the decision quite early on uh, to postpone our football season uh, until the 31st of May. And so we made that decision quite early. Uh, and then the next day, the FFA obviously made their decision to push it back until the 14th of June, uh, of, uh, sorry, April. Um, and then since then, we've just kind of been dealing with it day by day as the government has put on further restrictions. Um, and now, actually, we're we're a bit more optimistic and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Because that is the case with not just football, but a lot of other codes, you know, the the not so much the NRL, which has been uh, front and centre because they've managed to garner the most publicity, but... The bodies below them, the New South Wales Rugby League, made an announcement during the week about a proposed July 18 start. Um, the Sydney Rugby Union have made an announcement, which we'll be discussing in the second hour of a program, about a similar start. And uh, during the week, um, football, even though at the elite level uh, there was no dates given, there was a lot more optimism about when players would get back on the field in the A-League and when they would take the field for the first time in community football. Yeah, that's right, and uh, I think it has been probably over the last two or three weeks since Gladys Berejiklian came out and announced that school would resume. Um, we've really seen that as a precursor to say that once school goes back and all the school kids are, I guess, back to normal um, schedules, then we'll be able to commence our football season and, and at least get the kids on the park. And I guess another way that we see it is that the Saturday morning mini-roos hubs and weekend games is just like a schoolyard. So that was really a precursor for us. But once the schools go back, we'll be uh, following not far after. Um, and then hopefully the adults will be going back two or three weeks after that. And I guess we're just working towards those dates. And until the sports minister and the government make an official announcement, uh, we're just trying to stay optimistic and get all our clubs in line and, and keep all our players engaged until that time. How hard has it been to try and keep the optimism up uh, amongst the clubs in the NSFA because in the early weeks there was a lot of doom and gloom around. Oh, that certainly was. Um, and I guess when you when you think about society overall, sport is really one of those releases that we have. And I think when that was taken away and the uncertainty that we might not have sport and we might not have football for, you know, what, three or four months, um, which was the prediction at the very start of it all, it was very much doom and gloom. And uh, I think there was a lot of people very disappointed I guess um, I'm very fortunate that we have very dedicated club members and club volunteers, and they aligned with the NSFA straight away. Um, they were on the phone to myself and my board members to ensure that we do prepare for when football goes back. Um, because there was so much uncertainty, no one could really put a date on it. So we went out there trying to see everything with a glass-half-full approach and thinking that we are going to be ready for when the football season commences and therefore just kind of rode that optimism to say that we do believe there's a football season coming. We don't know what it looks like. We can't tell you more, um, but we're going to keep it, uh, I guess, that conversation going. And I guess since we started that, everyone began adapting to the new 
kind of modern online way of dealing with things. And uh, a lot of the clubs and the club coaches and the players just kind of got creative like I've never seen it before. And everything just went online. And um, if you do follow the NSFA Facebook page, you'll see that three times a week there's, um, some of the coaches have been running sessions for kids to engage in. And we've had over, I think we had over 400 kids sign in one, on one session. So it's just those types of messages and the alignment of all of our clubs um, and the encouragement that our club volunteers are communicating to their members that I think has kept that spirit alive. And when we talk about football family, and we talk about it a lot between FFA, Football New South Wales and ourselves, um, and the clubs below us, uh, that, that's really come, come out in this time of crisis. And it's been epitomised by some of those um, videos on Facebook and the way people have worked together uh, to get through it. And I think it's just been phenomenal, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, the optimism has started... Uh, straight away um, from the messaging that we've put out as an association. You know, I'm glad that the club really aligned with us uh, and just helped us communicate that moving forward. They say that necessity is the mother of all invention. Have we stumbled almost by accident on a way that we can continue that connection off the field post the coronavirus era, when the coronavirus curtain is is lifted? Uh, is this uh, a preview, a sneak look into the future of how the NSFA and clubs communicate with their players, their juniors and their officials more? Oh, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, I've been a coach since um, I was 14, so quite a few years now. And one of the biggest challenges that we've uh, found as a coach is to get all the coaches in the same room, to be able to communicate the same message and, and to really just touch base with each other and be aligned. And I know that talking to our club volunteers, they also find that same kind of challenge with their committee meetings that these are all mum and dads that really don't have a night to give um to volunteer but they do it for their passion for the community and for their for the sport and uh i think yeah that these kind of video conferences and the zoom conferences will now allow people to just stay at home instead of traveling half an hour to get to the clubhouse and half an hour back um and the chit chat in between uh, everything's just going to be a little bit more efficient and i believe it's I think we will be using this technology in the future uh, a lot more effectively um, from a coach point of view for the coaches to communicate to players, um, for example, when there's wet weather, how we can keep them engaged and ensure that, I guess, uh, that everyone knows that they belong. Um, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why we join sport and we join any type of club, whether it's in the arts, um, in the sporting world or in hobby world, that we just want to belong to something. And it's during those times when... You know, things are locked down or things are in wet weather that we kind of forget about that belonging a bit. So the Zoom meetings and the ability to just be able to jump on, see each other, have a bit of banter um, and touch base um, has really allowed us to, to maintain that engagement. And I think moving forward, it's definitely going to be a tool that we use more so. Um, and yeah, you're right, we've been forced to use it, but now I can't see us living without it. On the flip side then, of course, the balancing act is going from full uh, virtual communication to the mix of virtual and social communication, the old-fashioned face-to-face communication at grounds where coaches can actually get back uh, and be face-to-face with their players and volunteers and officials can socially interact again. That's going to be a balancing act, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a balancing act. And, um, you know, we're working hard with Football New South Wales above us and FFA and the Office of Sport and Health New South Wales to really understand what the restrictions are going to be when we do come out of this and when we do get given the green light. And that will really dictate how football looks. And I think everyone appreciates that football is not going to look like it did um, in 2019. It's certainly going to change. Um, and we, we've already started, I guess, putting together some guidelines for our clubs to help them uh, schedule their training sessions to ensure that there's not hundreds of people at the ground, um, to ensure that there's not parents standing on the outside of the field and potentially, I guess, breaking those social distancing rules. So it's going to be a challenge for sure. Um, but I'd like to think that everyone's desire to play football again um, will allow us to overcome them quite easily. A number of those challenges will include availability of grounds uh, because a start in July means that you only have a limited number of weeks to have well, competitions, uh, formal competitions down to, let's just say, under-13s, under-14s, and then more like gala days for 
uh, the younger groups because you have the summer sports that in the past have assumed that they will be taking possession and use of grounds from September 1. Uh, hopefully there will be some sort of negotiation and compromise with those summer sports like cricket and others uh, for a bit of give and take this particular year given the unique circumstances that this September and October will give all sports. Yeah, you're right. Um, I guess we've already been in communication with cricket in the area and it's probably been a good exercise for me being quite new to the role of CEO um, just to be able to reach out and, and build a relationship with those cricket associations around us. And they do um, understand the situation we're in. They're also very keen on sharing the pain a little bit, um, which is great because I think that underpins the community that we have in the North Shore to show that even though it's not during the summer season and the cricket season, they are willing to make sacrifices to help our community and to ensure that our 17,000 players can get on the park. So, um, yeah, definitely. We're, we are working with cricket. Um, Football New South Wales above us are working with Cricket New South Wales to look at a more blanket approach that we can put down. Um, but we are really going to rely on the generosity of cricket to forego maybe a couple of weeks of their grounds, if not the whole of September, to ensure that we can get a reasonable season out of um, 2020. But if we don't if we don't get the grounds, we'll adapt. We'll We'll get football on the park. If the government give us the green light, we'll make football happen. It just won't look the same as um, a normal winter season. We'll just have to come up with new creative ways to keep people engaged and to get as many games onto our fields as possible. Would that include midweek games on Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights instead of training sessions? Yeah, correct. That's one of the options. Um, we've got a, we've got a few options out there. Of course, we also have to have a conversation with our council um, to ensure that we can utilise the the grounds on say a Wednesday in a midweek um, and we don't I guess go over our capacity that they allocate to us because as you can appreciate with grass ground with um, 22 heavy footballers running around they do get torn up so we want to ensure that we're doing the right thing by the council um, and we don't want to leave the, the pitches in a terrible state and with the council footing a huge bill to fix them in time for the 2021 season so we are working with our councils they've been very receptive Hornsby and Karinga have been brilliant working with each other um, and we're, we're spanned across five councils overall. So that's another challenge in itself. But we almost need all our councils to align together um, to help us make this decision and to make the season work. But uh, we are hopeful that we can make it work, whether it's midweek games, whether it's double-up games. Um, yeah, we're, we can definitely do something. Um, and I, I, again, I kind of reiterate that I hope the football community will just be on board. Whatever we decide, um, we hope that First and foremost, they just want to be back on the park. So they'll um, they'll jump on board with what we decide and what we work with the clubs going forward. Sometimes 75% of something is better than 100% of nothing, uh, which is probably going to be the, the key message for those that are all, that are obviously going to find some little thing to, to nitpick about. Uh, you mentioned the restricted number of weeks and the hope that you might play on into September. Um, finals. Football has a tradition in other parts of the world of not having finals, of the champions being the traditional first-past-the-post. Um, that's not quite the Australian way, as the late, great John Warren once said, but it might have to be the Australian way for this summer. Um, is that a, a consideration that yourself and your board are going to have to wrestle with? No finals at all for those senior grades and just go by first-past-the-post? How do you play it? Yeah, you, you are correct there, I guess. Um, football traditionally around the world is first past the post, and depending on the season length, we will have to look at that. Um, for some of our competitions uh, and divisions, there's only eight teams in it. So therefore, if we get 16 weeks, we do actually have space to do two rounds and then a two-week final series, whereas other competitions and divisions are 10-team divisions. So therefore, we're just going to have to be a little bit flexible, and it all really comes down to when the government tell us we can play and then we'll just make the competition to fit around that but uh, we've already had to make the decision to cancel our NSFA Cup which is a bit of a shame and the other cup competitions within NSFA and I know they are very popular and uh, have a lot of history in the area because they've been going um, some of them for over 40-50 years now so um, it is a shame that we've had to cancel those cup competitions that do mean so much but again at the end of the day we'd rather have 75% of something than 100% of nothing. So uh, we're just going to keep working for that and uh, I guess just be a little bit 
agile when it comes to the season and seeing what type of competition we can put on. Now, you mentioned that you've worked uh, closely uh, with your board. Uh, how often, I suppose, you've had to meet daily or every two days, sometimes hourly, particularly in the early stages of uh, this crisis developing. But um, you set yourself uh, with the beauty of Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, whatever um, tool you use, um, regular ad hoc as well as scheduled weekly meetings of the board to keep on top of this at the moment, I suspect. Yeah, we, um, we've been meeting formally every week, um, just, uh, I guess, as a bit of an update. Over the last week, things have started to slow down as kind of life becomes normal in lockdown. Um, but it, in the first couple of days, in that I think it was around the week of 16th of March, I think we're on the blower to each other every couple of hours. Um, and, and that can be said about the clubs as well. We have 30 clubs throughout our region and Northern Tigers as well. And communication is always paramount in these type of situations. So we were communicating with our clubs quite regularly. Um, obviously, we're all very community-based and we have a good relationship with each other. So it was very easy to just pick up the phone and discuss any issues that were arising and to nip anything in the bud before it kind of blossomed into something bigger. But, uh, yeah, constant communication has been probably one of our strongholds, to be honest, uh, over this period. And I'd like to think that we've kept everybody in check, all 16,000, 17,000 members that we've had sign up this year, uh, to, just to ensure that they understand where we are, to understand the optimism, um, and really for us to convey the message that we're asking for their patience and their support because we just simply did not know at the start um, what was going to come out of it and how long we were going to be in this suspension state. How great is the challenge to keep the bulk? I'm sure that you have plans in place, but how great is the challenge to keep the bulk of those 16 or 17,000 on board, not only for the rest of this year, but more importantly for next year and beyond, when we go back to something resembling what life was like pre the coronavirus curtain? Yes, certainly. And to be honest, the trends of football over the years um, has always been steady growth, even during the DFC football group. Um, so, you know, I'd hope that people will be in difficult financial states after this crisis. Um, however, football will always be there. And as I kind of said before, the, the belonging that it's sport and the team provides is so important to Australians, but also, I guess, just to the society that we live in. And uh, I'd like to think that, you know, we're becoming the new kind of cornerstone of the community. Um, that, yes, you have your schools and your churches and, and your other religious institutes, but sporting clubs and particularly football clubs across the North Shore um, are just becoming that glue that holds everything together. So I think um, we will be back. We will be back stronger. Um, and I think we're always going to attract new players into the game every year. And we just hope that we can deliver a program that kind of fits everybody's needs. That's the message that you'd probably want to give to those that, you know, that are saying that it's too much too soon, that... Uh, even though football is not as physical a contact sport as, say, the rugby codes are or Australian rules football, that it sends the wrong message out, that we should still be in isolation for a bit longer and that we should wait until 2021 uh, to start sport. Uh, I'm sure that what you've just mentioned there is the perfect counter-argument to that, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it is just such an important part of how we live and... Um, you know, I appreciate that everyone's been locked up inside and as much as we all love our families, we also love our friends and we love the sport and we love being active and outside. That's kind of um, a trademark of being Australian. So it does play a very important role in society and I think if we go around it the right way and we put in place the right restrictions, we should be able to play the sport. Um, it, you know, people just shouldn't be potentially using change rooms, no shaking hands, no crazy goal celebrations where you would jump on top of each other. I'm sure we can make it work. Um, we just need the cooperation of everybody. Um, and I think, again, if we can play football, I think people are more than happy to, I guess, go along our guidelines that we place rather than, I guess, being a rebel and ruining it for everyone. So I'm very optimistic that if, um, I guess, I call on my community to live by a certain set of rules for 2020, that they're going to abide by it and we'll get football on the park in the safest way possible. Now, we'll take the NSFA hat off and put the Northern Tigers hat on, which is uh, a fair uh, uh, workload given uh, what you've got on at the moment. Um, from the Northern Tigers' perspective, um, started the season um, OK uh, in the first couple of rounds. Uh, 
what's it looking like for perhaps the July start that's been mooted at the moment and the and the shortened season that the Tigers will play in NPL two? Yeah, well, um, NPL two for our men, but NPL one for our women, um, who have been doing fantastic over the last few years. Both started their competitions, and the youth also got a couple of games in as well. Um, in the camp, um, all spirits are high. The engagement has been phenomenal. Um, I think if if you're not a sporting person, you probably wouldn't understand the connection a team has and it's been fantastic to jump on the zoom meetings with all the coaches and to hear their stories of how they're all connecting with their teams so not to mention the, not to, to mention the juggling drills that are going on on the facebook pages out oh, there at the moment yeah they, it's been phenomenal you know to have I think we're close to 400 players in northern tigers um you know from our first graders our two captains savette and luke dawson have been great They've been communicating with all our members constantly. Jason Egger, um, uh, our technical director, has also been kind of front and centre on most communication. And I think, yeah, we're just, again, we're just staying together as a team. That, that's what we do as a club. That's what we do as a football team. Um, and we are ready to go once we're given the green light. Obviously, the seniors will probably need a, a short pre-season to get going again. Uh, whereas when you look online, you can see that the kids are pretty much running their own training sessions every day in their backyards or on their balconies. So when we're given the green light, we'll hit the ground running. Um, and the work that's been done at Northern Tigers and the engagement of the coaches and the players um, has been phenomenal during this time. So I think we're all just ready to get back on the park. And, and for a lot of these players that are potentially new to Tigers and, and it's the first time in a rep system, you know, they're, they're just itching to get out there and prove their worth and to, I guess, relish the challenge of playing against the biggest clubs in Australian football, you know, your old NFL clubs that you get to play against day in, day out. So, yeah, we're, we're all ready to go. Um, and the culture at Northern Tigers is something different. It's like nothing else. Um, I'm a big Evertonian from England, and I'd say it's, it's very similar to that. And then it's very much a people's club. It's very family-oriented, um, and we'd all bleed for each other. So I think, yeah, once we're given the green light, we'll be fine to um, really ramp up and get going again. In that case, I won't ask you about uh, whether the uh, EPL should be made null and void this season. That's another story altogether. That's another Wikipedia page. But you know, you know the answer to that already. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, you mentioned that this has been a baptism of fire, really, for you uh, as CEO of both the Tigers and and uh, the NSFA, uh, relatively new to the positions. I don't think in your uh, wildest nightmares, let alone uh, dreams, you would have been confronted with something like this. You certainly didn't sign up for it, that's for sure. No, it's, um, yeah, you could call it a baptism by fire. It's, uh, I was expecting to be walking around my mini ruse hubs on a Saturday morning with a sausage sizzle in hand and um, talking to my club members and my club volunteers and just trying to make their life easier. So to be thrust behind the desk and uh, on a Zoom chat every single day has been very different. But I think, you know, that took on this role because I'm very passionate about football and very passionate about our community. And at, at this point in time, this is the role I've got to play. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm fortunate to have the support of the board that we do and the club volunteers that we have and the staff as well in the office. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been difficult. It's been challenging at times, but I've learned a hell of a lot. And I think it just shows the connection that our whole community has with each other that um, we've been able to come together and make it work for each other um, and again as I said before we're just going to come out of this so much stronger I think um, and we're aligned in what we're doing moving forward. Financially of course it's the other key factor it's great to have the spirit and have the people and the, the bodies on the ground out there every week manning the sausage sizzles but at the end of the day it's all got to be funded uh, from somewhere and of course there are strains on every single club there are strains on the NSFA uh, how have you handled those strains and those hurdles put in your way that were not of your own making? Yeah, that, that has been a big challenge. And I guess when you draw everything back and look at it in simple black and white, we're a non-for-profit, we're a community organisation. And therefore, we have a responsibility to spend the members' money that we, um, I guess, have in our bank account to ensure that the future of NSFA um, exists and to ensure that the programs that we've been working towards, such as our facilities levy, um, is dedicated to the facilities of the future. And so that has been, again, another challenge um, to ensure that, you know, we don't spend recklessly. Um, 
and I guess like any other business in Australia, we've, we've had to make, um, I guess, decisions to, to cut our expenditure, um, and that's, that's just part and parcel with it. But I, and I think over every step of the way, those decisions won't impede football in the region. Um, and, and again, I think we will come out better for it and the investment that has been made. So, for example, um, the staff have been kept on at the moment and the amount of work that's been invested uh, from the staff to ensure that NSFA comes out of this completely upgraded and refreshed beast of an association um, is just going to be second to none. So, yes, it is a big challenge, um, but we are fortunate enough that we've had the financial smarts of um, a few key people that have been part of NSFA for a long time, uh, and they've been able to have an emergency fund, if you will, um, saving for a rainy day, and the rainy day's here, and we've been able to come through it. And I think, you know, if you had told me that we'd be playing by June, um, back at the start of March, uh, I would have jumped at it. So I'm now quite optimistic that we definitely will be. So therefore, I think we've made the right decisions all, all the way along. Um, and again, we will come out of this in a, in a better position. So the timetable from here, we have this um, marker date down for June. Obviously, it's going to be looked at and uh, Football New South Wales are going to be giving directions uh, in coming weeks after their review in the in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you'll be obviously looking at those final uh, decisions end of May uh, with great interest. You'll have to make uh, those decisions in concert with Football New South Wales yourself. Yeah, correct. So we're on a, another Zoom call with Football New South Wales and every other association in New South Wales, the regional and the metro, uh, twice a week. So we have constant communication. We're very aligned in everything that we do and, and I guess we're very open and honest with each other, especially to help each other out because each region of Sydney is very different. So once the decision has been made from SSA, we tend to hear about it within the half an hour, um, and then it allows us to either get our kind of uh, information in order um, or to chuck out the communication to our members um, in a timely manner. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be making that decision, and I hope that we'll have um, a bit of an update by the 20th of May. That's the milestone date that I've put on for my membership, uh, and I hope that we'll just be able to communicate a little bit more then. And if you look at it, that's you know, just over three weeks away. And I think we'll have a better idea of what the schools are going to look like, how many school kids are going back, um, and potentially if there is any increase in the amount of COVID cases. And again, that's all a good precursor about whether we'll be able to play football again. Indeed. Um, we just hope that those numbers stay uh, down and that the, the curve is flattened and is going in the right direction uh, to the south, not to the north, uh, because if it changes, then everything changes again, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it certainly does, yeah. And I, I, I guess it's huge credit to Australia that everyone listened and, and heeded the advice that the government put out. Um, you know, hindsight's a great thing and, and everyone can say potentially we could have done this or that. But at the end of the day, we've been one of those nations that have been able to uh, plateau that curve and actually turn it around. So I think well done to everybody. And, and hopefully if we do... I guess, continue with what we've been doing and the action that we've taken and the restrictions that are on for at least another couple of weeks. Uh, we'll be able to come out of this a lot better. And then um, I guess it just gives the government some breathing room and the health system some breathing room uh, so they can get their health in order just in case it does peak again. So I think it's a huge credit to everyone in Australia and our community for, for just listening. Um, and even for myself, you know, we've, last year we had 16,800 players um, and my worst kind of fear when I did or we did um, suspend football was that I'd go out and see all the grounds full, full of teams training but we didn't and, and that's great and that shows that everybody took that advice seriously um, and everyone realised that we had to do our bit in order to I guess overcome this as a nation so I think it's fair play to everybody. And uh, there are a lot of places in the world that uh, would like to be in our shoes right now none the least of which is your, your native UK, which is doing it really, really tough and still continuing uh, to do it tough at the moment. Well done to yourself as well and the NSFA. A lot of people forget that the NSFA came out on the front foot and suspended play before Football New South Wales did. Even if it was only by 24 hours, they had the foresight to see <laughs> what was coming before Football New South Wales made the final announcement um, when they did back in March. It's why the NSFA is... 
one of the, the strongest football associations in uh, metropolitan Sydney and in Australia. Thank you so much for your time. It's um, it, You're a busy man. You have to deal with a lot on your plate regularly. Uh, we do want to keep in touch because hopefully down the line we can lead to a, a more meaningful relationship between Triple H and the NSFA and the world game in our own backyard, in our own broadcast footprint. That you know, we can look forward to in the months and years ahead. But for now, stay safe. Stay in isolation as much as possible, and we will catch up soon. Thank you for your time, Ed. No, no worries. Thank you. I look forward to coming back on once uh, we're back in the park and I can share some success stories with you. We sure do look forward to talking about good deeds on the field and outstanding achievements, Ed, not just in association football but across all clubs and codes, as the second half of the year promises to see community sport return. So it's time to wrap it all up. We'll be back next Tuesday night with another episode of Splitters, Anthony the Bull Caruso will be back in the chair for the next edition in seven days from now. Until then, for Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore, my name is Tony Dosen the Sultan. Thanks for your company. Stay safe. For this episode of Splinters, it's goodbye. (laughs) 